But where are you really from? A podcast about the Asian American struggle. Hello. Hi there. We should introduce the podcast. Okay. Well, this podcast is all about cultural identity and specifically the identity of being an Asian American, kind of stuck in the middle of not quite that Asian, not quite American enough, and kind of all the different topics and struggles that could be interesting to talk about through the lens of having grown up being caught in both worlds. Yeah, I think that's 100% on point. And I think we wanted to share this with you guys to showcase how we've traversed this very particular and unique identity as we've grown up. Cool. All right. Well, now you know what this is, but you don't know who we are yet. So we can do a quick introduction. My name is Angela Lynn. I live in San Francisco. I'm 29. I work in marketing. I think that's it. (laughs) And I'm Jesse. I live in New York. My ages, I will never tell any of you. (laughs) And I also work in advertising. Um, And Jesse didn't mention this, but his last name's also Lynn. And just so you guys know, yeah, we might as well be related. I wish we were, but we are not. Um, Our relationship is that we've been pretty much best friends since we were like five Mm -hmm. years old. So... uh, Blood runs deep here. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then last thing about in this intro section, um, Jesse already kind of mentioned partially why we wanted to start this podcast. Obviously, we, we want to just share our perspective of everything we've gone through and how we see the world based on, you know, the upbringing we've had and the influences we've had with being Asian American. But um, I think for me, at least, there are definitely selfish reasons I wanted to start this podcast, too. Starting any podcast is something I've been really interested in for a while, and but didn't really want to take the leap and, and dare to do it. Uh, but then, you know, the world where it's at right now, we're in the middle of this crazy coronavirus quarantine, and it just felt like now or never. Like, what else are you doing? You might as well, right? That's exactly right. <laughs> Any other reasons you really wanted to start this podcast besides boredom and sharing your perspective? Yeah, I know. I think it's something really interesting to think about in terms of your identity. And usually on your day to day, you don't get enough time to do this kind of introspection. So as you mentioned, now that we have the time, I think it's a really great exercise to try to get to understand ourselves better. Cool. Okay. I think that wraps up intro. Awesome. So, I think the only thing anyone's talking about nowadays is the fucking coronavirus. Yep. So, naturally, I think a good place to start is, how are you holding up? That's a really good question. I think my mental health is slipping slightly because, (laughs) you know, I haven't seen, like, another person in about a week. Yeah. Like, in real life, which is pretty crazy. And actually, like... A lot of companies and stuff shut down like this week or last week, but I have been working from home since Friday, March the 6th, and is now March the 23rd. So I have been at home (laughs) by myself for quite a while. March 6th? 
Yeah, with my cat and wine. Wait, how are you doing? Like, when did I start? <laughs> I might have started around then. I, yeah, I feel like just to add on to yours, I have no sense of time anymore. Yeah. Like every day, every week has started just to blend in together. Like yeah. I swear to God, last week when the weekend rolls around, I was like, wasn't yesterday the weekend? There's no delineation between weekday and weekend anymore. Yeah, precisely. And especially since we're all like working from home now, there's like no separation of like anything. It's just one long, endless Groundhog's Day. Yeah, it's like driving me crazy. I'm in my PJs just all day, every day, weekend or weekday, whatever hour of the day. So that definitely doesn't help with having separation between work and life. Yeah, I mean, I still like get ready. I don't get dressed up nicely anymore, but I do my face, I do my hair. Like, I have these rituals that I have to stick to. Otherwise, it, it's just like complete chaos. Well, okay. God bless you. I can't motivate <laughs> myself to do that. I like, I think I told you this already, but I put on makeup and like wore a real shirt for the only time <laughs> during this whole <laughs> corona bullshit a week ago and that's only because we had a meeting with like the president of our company that like I will never have another meeting with him again I'm like I should probably wear makeup I guess <laughs> yeah we're both situated in like hotspot areas in the U.S. in terms <laughs> of the virus so it's like no living vicariously through one another. We're both like no. stuck at home, just choo-chooing yeah. our way through every piece of Netflix content available. Seriously, we'll get to that later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, honestly, it kind of sucks because it's such a drag because there's no other news that's really happening that matters. So whenever you just open up like any social media or news it's only about coronavirus bullshit yeah yeah but like also i feel drug addicted because i'm like i get depressed by it and yet i'm like seeking out more information about it yeah i mean i'm like constantly on it just looking for the first signs of it's over and you're like go back to normal like every day i'm just like google news refresh 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 show me the like coronavirus over by may or june news because that's all i'm living for right now dude i i mean i hope you're right um because you know i'm trying to get married in august (laughs) yeah oh my god yeah i just like such a far that's like really far away but still with all this stuff it's like not that far away it's super depressing. I mean, I think you you got the email that we sent to all our mm-hmm. guests, but it's like, even though it's super far away, August, because there's no end in sight to this thing, it also, you don't know if it's really that far away, because if the virus doesn't go away to like July or early August or whatever, like, that's definitely going to bleed into it. But also, I feel like there's more likely a scenario where the virus dies down in may or so but people are just still paranoid and then a bunch of my guests just still don't come because they're paranoid which sucks yeah so for those of you who don't know this bitch is getting married in august (laughs) she's having a fancy event in spain which is gonna be amazing so hopefully the coronavirus goes away so we can all have a freaking fiesta (laughs) 
Thanks, Jesse. Well, mm-hmm. just to curve that back, I'm not a rich bitch or anything. This thing is small. It's like <laughs> less than 80 people. And also Spain sounds glamorous, but it is cheaper to do your wedding abroad than it is in America. And also my fiance is Spanish. So this is not just a yes. whimsical bullshit. All true things. It doesn't make it less fabulous. <laughs> That's true. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, what else? What else have you, you know, what's, what else is new? How's Juniper? What's going on? Yeah, so my cat is, like, the only person that I talk to every day. <laughs> He's gone really, really moody over the last Aww. few days because I don't feed him until specific times of the day. <laughs> and he doesn't like that. And he's very vocal in his protests. The other day, he was very upset at me. And swatted my head while I was doing a workout. And his claws got stuck in my hair, which is now tied up in a bun. Like when I do actual stuff, because otherwise it's like all over my face. And his paw got stuck in my hair. And I thought, y'all, this is it for me. Like, I'm done. The cat's (laughs) going to claw me to death. Like, goodbye. (laughs) How'd you end up freeing yourself? Thankfully, I just grabbed his paw and pulled it out of my hair, and he was nice enough to let me do that. <laughs> but yes, this this is like kind of the most exciting social interactions that I have on the daily. Other than that, I'm mostly just trying to like cook new things. Honestly, this is like the most healthiest I've eaten for like an extended period of time for a while because I'm just at home and I have time and so I can like actually cook stuff now. So I've just been doing like lots of healthy salads and like basic proteins and veggies and fruits and stuff like that, which I think is good for me at least. So I can at least come out of quarantine looking hot and fresh and healthy. (laughs) You will, you will. Yeah, I feel like all of my friends have been saying the same thing. Like, people who don't usually cook, like Karen, who is our other best friend of mm-hmm. one million years, uh, she never cooks. And now she's cooking. She and her husband are cooking all the time because you have to. <laughs> well, it's also fun, right? Like, if yeah. you don't have things to do, like, you just pull up a recipe on all recipes or whatever. And you're just like, all right, cool. I'm going to do this bitch tonight. Like, I have no idea how to cook this, but I'm going to try it. Like. You have nothing else to do, really. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cookbook recommendation that is not specifically tied to quarantine time, but Ramon and I have been moving heavily into the Morimoto uh, Everyday Japanese Cookbook that we bought, like, I don't know, maybe six months or even more ago because, okay, well... For the rest of you, Ramon and I lived in Japan for two months. I was able to convince my job back in the day to let me do a short rotation in Asia. And so we had that really unique experience. But when we came back from eating all that amazing, legit food in Japan and came back to this, we're like, "Ah, maybe we should just cook it ourselves. So we've been cooking probably, we probably cooked like 90% of the recipes in there and it's all real good so i would recommend it cool so for all of the people listening sf where do you get all of your cooking materials from uh you mean like the ingredients and stuff yes nijia it's the main japanese supermarket in japantown and it has everything that sounds amazing yeah we we go probably like every two weeks awesome Mm -hmm. this episode is brought to you by paramount plus 
Get in, loser. Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. A thematic topic for today is how you define your identity, which is the, you know, backbone of this podcast, but which is why we felt like we should start here. So Jesse, how do you define your identity? Wow, that's like a really difficult question (laughs) from the bat. I would say if someone stopped me on the street and asked me how I identify, I would tell them that my parents are from Taiwan, but I was born in California and that I'm also gay. And I think those are probably like the most salient points of identity for me. Like if someone were to just be like, how do you identify? But I think that's really tricky because it's something that I've never really thought about a lot of outside of those kind of pretty umbrella ideas or terms for identity. So that's how I think about it from like the very, very high level. What about you? I think that makes sense. Um, A lot of the same stuff for me, although I think I have like a different order of operations in my head Mm -hmm. and then probably a few other things that I, I naturally associate with my identity that I'm not sure I'm like happy about doing. So uh, for sure, four pieces of my identity I always think about is American. Mm -hmm. I'm like, very proudly American. Um, And I think for me, Taiwanese, because I'm also Taiwanese, uh, come secondary, Mm -hmm. I like, it's obviously a big part of my identity. But because we were both born in America, it just feels like this is, this is my home country. And and Taiwan is like a big part of who I am, because it's part of the DNA of my family, but it comes secondary for me. Mm -hmm. And then because uh, I feel like as like being a privileged, you know, heterosexual person, uh, my sexuality doesn't really come into play for me when I think of identity because for better, for worse in society, I'm just like the default normal, right? So Mm -hmm. it doesn't come into play for me. Um, The other piece of identity that unfortunately I've always thought about since we graduated college is like my work being a big Mm. part of how I identify myself, which is probably pretty evident given that even in our introduction, like the three things I said, one of them was like marketing or, um, and it's something that I've been trying to get away from, especially in the last year, I think since who I am shouldn't be defined by what my job is. And yet I think, for me, it is a big part of how I define myself, right. which I'm not sure happy about. <laughs> well, I think you brought up two really interesting points. I mean, the first is like how we were different in prioritizing our de- our identities. And I will say that I also, like, if you ask me what my nationality is, obviously I'm from the United States, but a lot of the times the question about identity and particularly your ethnic identity prompts Mm -hmm. you to say that you know I'm 
Taiwanese or I'm Chinese or I'm whatever versus over what, or, you know, where you were born. And it's interesting that you say that because I think that's one of the, one of the interesting things about identity is that like you define it yourself, but also other people define it for you, whether you want that or not. Totally. And actually to that point, um, and this is a perfect tie-in to the title of our podcast, but um, so the point of like you, you making your own identity, but sometimes you having to like adjust the way you answer based on how other people provoke you, so right? Much, like so much, girl. I wasn't so aware of being Asian until I studied abroad in mm-hmm. college. Um, and funny enough, I I studied abroad in Spain. Um, but there it was like every day I just got called like China, Chinita yeah. on the street mm-hmm. without any conversation with that person. Yeah. Just like across the street being yelled at. Um, so it just like constantly reminded me what I was. And I distinctly remember being in a club or something because I was, you know, 20 years old. But um, being in a club and some, some, I know, some guy came up to me and in Spanish, he asked me, like, where are you from? And I said, I was from New York because at the time I had been living in yeah. New York for like six yeah. years or whatever. And he was like, no, where are you really from? And I was like, fuck you, man. I told you it was New York. That's like one of the most like offensive and annoying questions to ever hear from somebody like after you've already told them like where you are from. Now getting into our upbringing, Mm -hmm. right? And how that also affects our identities. I mean, I've had so many arguments with my parents, especially my mom about like, my my identity mm-hmm. in terms of being American first mm-hmm. and Taiwanese second because that's how I that's how I see it because I grew up in America um and like one of the funniest and most bizarre arguments we had one time was um I referred to Irvine which is where Jesse and I were both from Irvine fabulous suburb uh, <laughs> fabulous you so amazing <laughs> Um, but yeah, I refer to Irvine as my hometown and my mom got like really pissed at me and she was like, your hometown is Taipei, Taiwan. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm not from Taipei. And she was like, she was so mad and very serious. And she was like, your hometown is wherever your mom grew up or like was born or whatever i was Mm -hmm. like what are you talking about so i was like so when i have kids their hometown will be irvine california and she's like yeah (laughs) like what are you wow i did not expect her to concede to that point i would yeah i know like it's taiwan forever forever yeah I mean, she'll probably argue with me on that point when the time actually comes. Well, but. yeah, we'll see. I, I mean, like, it's it's so interesting because in a way, we have different identities and they're almost like different lives we lead in a sense. Like, we have an identity that we embody and portray for our parents in terms of, like, mm-hmm. how we are as Asians. But then we have yeah. our own kind of identity and how we portray ourselves to everybody else in the world. Like, this is this is who I am and how I yes. define myself um, versus, like, how 
our parents see our lives and where they envision our lives to, to go. Do you ever feel like, though, sometimes you can't get across what you want to say to your parents? Well, like for me, <laughs> all the uh, time, all the time. I, I try to keep to, you know, that way that we're supposed to talk to our yeah. parents most of the time. But like, when I'm getting really pissed at something they're saying, and I can't express it fully in Chinese, it, gets, it just like makes me so mad. And I like, just say it anyway in English. And I, like, I know they don't really understand what I'm saying. And I, I just, uh, yeah, it's, it's really of- hard, though, because like, there are some things that there's no way that they could understand in the same manner. Like yeah. there are things about their life experience that we can never understand. Yeah, it's funny, because as we grow up, I'm like starting to see parts of my parents and myself. I I realized in maybe the last honestly like two weeks, um, maybe because I'm with Ramon now that like I have a person that I'm talking to all the time and is hearing all my stories over and over and over again. But I'll I'll be like, Oh, have we told you about that time? And he'd be like, Yes, you've told me like 80 times. And I can't help but think that that's exactly what my dad does. <laughs> like he tells the same story, the same like five stories, 1 million times, as if you've <laughs> never heard them. Um, so I, I randomly just thought about that. But the story I was going to tell about him, which is like, to the point of like, you know, we were just raised so differently mm-hmm. and like had such different lives is whenever he either feels like we're being kind of spoiled brats or privileged <laughs> or specifically in the context of when we're eating at a buffet <laughs> <laughs> and we kind of like um, give him shit for like grabbing all the crab legs on, on a plate. A bitch um, loves a he'll buffet. Always, um, he'll always tell the same story about like, how poor he was growing up because both my parents are one of like five children so they had a ton of siblings that their parents had to provide for and always tells me the story about like when they were at their poorest they couldn't afford to have him have anything else for lunch except for half of a boiled egg so he like tells that story all the time to guilt us <laughs> to be like, so I deserve this <laughs> or like, or like, you don't know how good you yeah. got it, um, which is totally fair and true, but also goes to like how it's so hard to relate because we, that's a whole different kind of life, you know? Yeah. And honestly, something like, have you ever talked to your parents about like identity specifically and like how they identify? Because... You know, one of the things that I think is difficult to talk to our parents about, at least for me, is that they don't question their identity, right? Like like what you were yeah. saying, like your mom was saying, like, you know, you're Taiwanese from Taipei, Taiwan. Yeah. They they don't have any, you know, second, second guesses about where they're from, like where their roots are. They're yeah. very, very, very clear on that versus yeah. like where we stand it's not so clear, right? We have some, we have some ethnic mm-hmm. roots based off of where our parents are from, but like we are pretty firmly grounded in the United States and mm-hmm. what all of that entails. Yeah, I've, I've never had that real conversation with my parents, except when we argued about the hometown mm-hmm. bit. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I don't think they have a question at all in their minds. Um, part of that, I think, is because they, you know, they grew up. Yeah 
in one country which happens to be the exact same country as their ethnic origin Mm -hmm. right so that's not that questionable for them but i also think it has to do with just like in general asian culture and like society in terms of there's this kind of like um i don't really want to say the word obedience but like there is some some feeling of like you know the way you're supposed to Mm -hmm. act based on what that society has taught you is is the right way to act and in Asian countries in particular right it's like you don't question your place in society like you know if you're the man that like you were supposed to like provide for the family if you're the woman you're gonna raise the child or at least back in like parents Mm -hmm. day right so I feel like there's also part of that because whenever I have had like harder conversations with my parents about like Mm -hmm. their relationship or like you know more serious topics the answer I get back a lot is like well there's no way that's not even possible yeah because you know like there's no choice yeah in it it's just they know where they're supposed to be the way they're supposed to act and there's no way to go against that yeah a hundred percent like there's this feeling of conformity versus individuality Mm -hmm. That's a way better yeah. than a well, Yes. <laughs> you know, active listening, okay? Um, yes. But I find that so interesting because part of why they came to America and why we're here is kind of a pursuit of individuality, of separation yes. from that conformity to find something different. And yes. for me, I feel like I've always struggled with that like tension because they want you to, my parents want me to conform in some aspects, but be very mm-hmm. exceptional or individualistic in other aspects. And yes. it causes a lot of like personal drama because you're like <laughs> trying to be your own person, but at the same time, like your parents don't want to be, don't want you to be that person in specific aspects of it. But they're fine mm-hmm. with other aspects of it. So it's very, very a confusing way to construct your identity growing up because some things are acceptable and some things are not. But you never know what they are because they don't talk about identity and they don't talk about how identity is constructed for them because it's always been this this static, like non-changing thing. Yes, I all I could think of when you were saying that was like they want the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? like we're the ones that live in the two worlds. They're not the ones. You want your cake and you want to eat it too. (laughs) You know, I've always had a problem with that (laughs) thing because it's kind of like, why the fuck do you have a cake if you're not going to eat it? Maybe it's a cake for somebody else, okay? It's a birthday cake. (laughs) Then it's not your cake. It's someone else's cake. (laughs) Um, But yes. (laughs) But like, so how do you feel like that's, shaped how you have approached your life like this kind of tension that you carry with you throughout like the different formative periods of your life what do you feel like how do you feel like that's like affected you I feel like the it's affected me in that especially when I was growing up so like high school Mm -hmm. right like when you first start understanding what your personality is and like (laughs) growing into yourself yeah in the most awkward part of your life um I feel like I had to fight my parents tooth and nail on everything Mm -hmm. that I wanted, Mm -hmm. especially as as I was getting closer to leaving for college. Mm -hmm. Right. So like 
in sophomore or junior years when you start really thinking about college and start like getting into applications and whatever and for me I wanted to go down a really like untraditional route for an Asian kid which is that I wanted to pursue something in the music business Mm -hmm. so like not me playing the violin on stage, you know, being the next Yo-Yo Ma or whatever, but like me wanting to work at a record label and like help promote artists, which is totally unheard of. That's not what I do today. You know, it was a part of my life at some point, but like to get there, I felt like I had to justify myself all Mm -hmm. the time to my parents of like, how does how can this dream still make sense within the expectations that you have for me of like, there's this just constant underlying guilt of I brought you, I like went through all the struggle to bring you to this country so that you could succeed and have a better life than I did. So you better not fuck this Mm -hmm. up. And so to like go after this, so like seemingly like flittering, dream that's not going to make any money how was I going to make that like sustainable and and something that could still fulfill the having a better life than they did check mark that they needed um I think that was like the biggest milestone that I first came across of like how that their upbringing of me uh shaped the way that I had to like carry myself in life which was just like learning to fight for what I want and make what I want a reality more more than ever which I guess in retrospect is like a really good thing that they (laughs) they forced me to to learn right which they didn't plan for but (laughs) yeah like it, it, it drove you in a way to be more persistent in what you wanted because of all that kind of pressure and doubt about whether or not what you were looking for, looking to do would be successful. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? I definitely feel the same way. I think it was also, you know, like, I think my parents had a lot of academic expectations for me. And a lot of the times it would be very difficult because to be honest, like there was nothing that I was particularly interested in in high school. And then when it comes to the whole like acceptable success, like what your parents think is acceptable for you. I also had the same experience kind of going to college. Side note, I did follow Angela to New York to go to NYU, <laughs> but I made the decision all by myself. So no shade there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, you know, it was so funny because I felt like I worked my ass off through high school. Like I did a bunch of AP classes. I did extracurriculars. I really was like pedal to the metal trying to get to the colleges that I wanted to get into. And one of the Mm -hmm. colleges I wanted to get into was New York University. And then kind of at the end of the process, when I got the letter, I was like so happy and excited. And part of that was kind of tempered because like I knew my parents weren't as excited because they wanted me to stay close to home and go to a local university. Mm -hmm. And this is like one of those interesting tensions because for me, I wouldn't have had to work so hard to get into local university, right? I could have kind of just cruised and made it. So it was one of those situations where it's like, you're aiming for like the highest, highest, highest level of success, but they kind of wanted me to just kind of settle with what was what was there what was in the plan 
And obviously, yes. like you, I came to the same conclusion. I was like, fuck it. I'm not going to settle. <laughs> like, I just worked my butt off to get to the school that I really wanted to go to. I'm going to go there. Yeah. I think you and I are very similar, which is like, no surprise that we've had some similar milestones mm-hmm. in life. Mm-hmm. And- like yeah. have remained such close friends for so long yeah. but I I'm sure this is something that a lot of Asian American people have dealt with which is like finding your place amongst the heavy expectations that your your parents have set for you yeah a hundred percent and I you know what we're like talking about high school and stuff like how do you feel like you have changed like how your identity has changed like high school oh to college where you are now girl don't even my i cannot tell me all about the emo phase the bangs, yes girl eyeliner everything <laughs> i don't have to tell you you live through it with <laughs> tell me. our listeners we have, we have so many myspace photos that i wish Delete. could be burned forever <laughs> but Delete. they're on the internet for life unfortunately um yeah Okay, well, high school, high school in and of itself, I think I went through like three different phases mm-hmm. of my identity. <laughs> um, coming into high school in okay, backtracking even further, middle school, I was like, that was when I had, I would say my like deepest Asian pride phase where I was like, oh my God, yes, I remember um, you watched like Meteor Garden and you wrote I was stuff obsessed in, with in Meteor Garden. Oh. For, oh, for yeah, anyone who would fall up in that business. Um, so I was like super Asian in middle school. And then I was transitioning out of that into high school because of the four high schools in Irvine, I went to the widest high school. So I think that definitely played into how I wanted to like be perceived by people, which is like, oh, I was just like super Asian all the time, but now I'm at this really white school. I should probably tone, tone that down. Mm-hmm. Right. Like when you're 14 and you're just like, you want everyone to like you, you're not going to be true to yourself. Mm-hmm. You're like, how do I adapt so that I can like be as likable as possible? Um, so that was like the beginning. And then when I started, when I discovered music and I thought I wanted to get into the music business for the first time, I was like 15, which, you know, go me that I was even like thinking about a career when I was 15 but uh, I did not even know that that was like a career option when I was 15 so like hats off to you (laughs) TBH I didn't either (laughs) until um I don't know if you remember this or you did this as well but our career counselors in high school gave us this like thick ass book that was thicker than a phone book that was like every potential career you could have in your Mm. life and um, there was, like, one sentence dedicated to, like, music business. Mm. I'm like, yes, this is it. Um, but anyways, that's when I went through my emo phase. I was like, oh. we're all black, which I don't think is really indicative because if you live in New York, all your wardrobe's black anyway. But we're all black, had, like, heavy eyeliner, had um, really crazy hair with, like, 50,000 layers in it, and went to all the Battle of the oh, Band yes. concerts. Yes, that was a fun phase. And then I became, I went totally opposite in senior year and went super preppy, like, uh, sorry, preppy's not, I don't know if it's preppy, but I went like really deep on American apparel and was like trying to- I remember that. (laughs) Go that route, yeah. And then college was just a clusterfuck all Mm -hmm. around, man. I don't think I knew who I was at any point 
in college until maybe the last <laughs> stretch of college. I feel you. Like, I do I know who I am now? I, mm, mm, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Even now? It's clearer, but it's like a Monet. It looks nice from far yes. away. <laughs> and then you get close <laughs> and you're like, this is just a bunch of weird colors, like, dotted together. That's fair. That's fair. I Yeah. I definitely don't have all my shit together now either, but I feel like I'm way more secure in myself now than I was growing up or even through like my early 20s. God damn, that was that was a messy, <laughs> like blurry phase hold, of my hold, life hold as up. well. We're still in our 20s. <laughs> okay, well, I, I'm sorry. What is it? March? I'm a... Uh, I'm four months away from being 30, so sorry. Go 20s. <laughs> Ugh, barely. But but early 20s. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Early 20s, yeah. like, you had no idea what you were doing yeah. in your life. For sure. Well, speaking of younger times, mm-hmm. now that you have a better sense of mm-hmm. self, if you could be in the same room as baby boy Jesse, like, Middle school, freshman year, high school, Jesse, mm-hmm. who's like doesn't know who the F he is mm-hmm. or what to think of himself. What advice would you give him about like feeling, finding himself and feeling more secure and in, in who he is? Yeah, I mean, like I just said, I still don't really necessarily know who I am. But I think that as yeah. I've gotten older, I've just gotten more comfortable with that unknown. And I think you can never really figure out who you are. Like, there's always going to be parts of you where, like, why did I do that? Or why did I say that? Why do I think these things? So I think the advice that I would give to my younger self is just be more comfortable with the fact that there are going to be parts of you that you don't understand and that you don't need to necessarily conform to, like, one shape or group or way Mm. there was like a lot of struggle like I struggled a lot to try to like place myself and I think my advice to my younger self would be don't do that like because you you don't necessarily know like where you feel one day versus the other like just try to enjoy the the best parts of each identity the best that you can Mm. what about yourself that's good yeah, it's something I've been reflecting a lot on recently, too, because I'm, like you're saying, I'm also still trying to figure mm-hmm. out my life. <laughs> but a big part, but a big part that's, like, probably my biggest question mark is more, like, career paddling and what's going to bring me joy in the long term there. But as I was reflecting on that, one of the things that came up a lot was, like, how much I value what other people think of me mm-hmm. which like I shouldn't mm. like who the fuck yeah. cares so I think my biggest piece of advice to myself back then is like no one else knows who they are either mm-hmm. yeah. so like stop trying so hard to impress mm-hmm. them because like they're not better than you you know what I mean like everyone's in their own little clusterfuck yeah. world that like so yeah. who cares and you know <laughs> You'll figure it out. They're figuring yeah. it out. And it's hard because you never see it, right? Like everyone projects like the best version of themselves to the yeah. world. And so you're like looking over there and be like, that bitch is doing so good right now. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. But yeah, mm-hmm. like you said, in reality, everybody is going through probably some really serious struggles about like who they are, how they feel, what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, that reminds me because like a really easy like default part of me that I fall back to, which I'm trying to curb now, is like being super judgmental about people because it's it's so easy to be judgy, right, of people. But something that I I have been trying to take more to heart recently is like the saying of, you know, like you no one knows what's going on in, in someone else's mm-hmm. life except that person, right? So like have a little bit more empathy yeah. there, right? So so to that end, like whether that's from a positive way of looking at someone's life or a negative way, like you have no idea what's yeah. happening under the hood. So so don't make assumptions. Yeah. You know? No, I agree. Although I reserve the right to be petty and judgmental. <laughs> you know, I'm, I didn't say I'm not petty and judgmental. I said I'm trying to be less. <laughs> okay. Thinking about your identity, what's the biggest thing that's shaped your sense of who you are? So not to be like a big stereotype, but definitely being gay has been like the biggest <laughs> shaper of my identity and the biggest like still unknown of my identity because I think that when I first started to understand that I was gay, the media portrayal of what it meant to be LGBT made me think that there was this like accepting, welcoming community that would just like mm-hmm. envelop me as soon as I came out of the closet and like, I'm fucking gay. And the truth mm-hmm. is that it's not. And something that is, I think really not discussed is that community requires that you have to input into the community so like I had the wrong kind of conception about it I thought the community would come to me would bring me into it help me understand how to navigate it and that's kind of a big fault of mine because it's a give it's a give and take like all relationships like you have to put into the community you have to find the right people for you And so I think that that's been such a struggle because I've bounced around kind of different groups of people trying to find my tribe within this kind of umbrella, sorry, rainbow umbrella group of people. (laughs) And that's something that I'm still working on today. That is a really good answer. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that I have a single answer. I mean, it sounds, it also sounds cliche and and also in the context of this podcast, but I do think one of the bigger things that's shaped my identity is just like this being kind of stuck in the middle of, of being Asian and being American, because I, I feel like if there is one consistent thing tied to identity that's been throughout my life it is just kind of like the need to feel like I have to justify myself on either end of the spectrum of like uh, you know when I talk to my parents like the guilt I have when I like forget how to say some stuff in Chinese because I haven't been practicing Chinese with with anyone or versus then when I'm in like a setting where I'm only with like white friends then sometimes I just like I don't feel like I'm I feel a little out of place Mm -hmm. even though they're not doing anything to make me feel uncomfortable but it's just like I look around and notice that I'm the only one that looks different and it starts getting to me so I do feel like being this like bicultural self has been one of the biggest shapers of 
how I continue to to see my identity and yeah. how I interact. That's a really good people. point. I mean, I feel like with all these things related to identity, there's always like this kind of tension of like you belong, but then you don't belong. All right, so let's get to some fun stuff to close. We want to introduce you to our fortune cookie segment. It's our way to end the podcast with a sweet treat where you never know what you're going to get. Given that we are stuck inside all day, every day, uh, naturally, I'm sure everyone is maxing out their Netflix bandwidth. So let's talk about what content you're binging right now. Jesse, take it away. Okay, I've watched, like, so many things, so there's, like, not a one thing. But I just want to say that, okay, and this happened kind of before the corona, but I just want to throw it out there because I think it's awesome. The second season of Sabrina, love, 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 super adore Aunt Zelda, freaking icon. <laughs> like, she is, like, icon every single freaking scene. Sabrina still extremely insufferable. I'm like, Dude, was... she's so annoying. I know. I'm like, was <laughs> I that bad when I was a teenager? Like, thank God Jesus did not give me magical powers. Oh my God. But, Wait, are you talking about season two or are you talking about season three? Isn't there a third season right now? Uh, no, I think it was like season one, then there was like Christmas special and then oh, continuation the and then season two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. yeah. So much stuff happens to Sabrina's in in Sabrina's Sabrina in, t- <laughs> in season two. She's like a cheerleader. She's also spoiler alert, queen of hell. Um, she's like trying to mack on like multiple boys. Like she's just trying to like she's trying to have it all, which I can completely relate to. But I feel like I would approach it in a more like methodical and logical way than how she's doing it. Well, she's like 16 or whatever, supposedly. I feel like I was more logical and methodical when I was 16. But that being said... <laughs> That's because you're Asian, okay. girl. But that being said, I love <laughs> Kunin Shipka. I love the rest of the cast. Like, it's so fun. It's like horror. It's campy. Like, it's just such so amusing. So, like, if you haven't watched it yet, you should definitely watch it. I love it. What about you? Yeah, and if you're a fan of the old Sabrina, it's like... Totally oh yeah different. yeah completely different yeah it hails to the same like character structure that you'll you'll have a bit of nostalgia yes. right um okay well at the moment i'm i wouldn't call it binging i think i'm finally making my way through all the like oscar nominees right now so like the other night we watched the Irishman and by the other night I mean three nights because that thing's fucking like four hours long and there's no way I'm gonna watch that all in one go um and then last night I then in turn made a Ramon watch two popes because I wanted to watch that I did not want to watch Irishman (laughs) so anyways we're making our way we're making our way through the the nominees and I think I'll watch Marriage Story oh my god so good I watched it you should watch it yeah yeah Get ready to cry. Um, get ready to definitely feel some way after you watch it. <laughs> I didn't cry, but I definitely felt like some way after I watched it. <laughs> so tell us what you guys are watching. You can email us and let us know what you're watching and what your thoughts are at tell us where you're from at gmail.com. 
That's your Y O U R E and not Y O U R grammar thieves. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Tell us what you're watching, or tell us what you think about the topic that we talked about today, which is you know how you identify yourself, how you define that, and how your identity has been shaped throughout your years. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time. Bye, Jen. Bye, Jen. Bye, Jen. Peace.